Today we are at Scunthorpe United FC and we are speaking with three of the Scunthorpe players, Ross Burrows, Connor Smith and Regan Ogle. Um, we are investigating what it's like to be a National League player. Obviously, the majority of footballers don't play in the Premier League, they don't play in the Champions League, so we want to find out what it's like. Um, so, so guys, would you mind just introducing yourselves, just tell us um, how long you've been at the club um, and your positions, if that's all right. Well, I'll start. Um, yeah, I've been here, Regan Ogles, so I've been here about a year and a half now, um, and uh, fullback. Okay. And you go, mate. Yeah, so uh, Ross Barrows, been at the club, just signed this summer, uh, so just a few months in, but was previously here as a, as a young kid in the academy uh, and defender. Uh, Connor Smith, I'm on loan from Harps in Scotland and I've been here for about two months maybe and I'm a winger. Okay, okay. So I mean, Australian? Yep. Scott, how did you guys end up at Scunthorpe? For me, it was just, I've been playing in Scotland my whole life and just wanted to try something different and speaking to my dad and that, I thought, try and go down to England and try and see what it's about down there, so... Scunthorpe made a, made an offer for me, so I thought I'd, I'd come and try it out. So you was at Hearts uh, 3D Academy? Yeah, I've been at Hearts since I've been six years old, okay. and I've been on about six loans now. So mm. I just, it's all been in Scotland, and I just wanted to try to come down to England and see what it was like, and I'm enjoying it so far. So, sorry, how old are you? 21. 21, so you've yeah. already had six loans? Could be seven. Could, okay. could be seven. <laughs> six or seven. Nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I know, I know. And so, hey, oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, Australia. Well, like, yeah. How did you go from Australia to Scunthorpe? Uh, well, funnily enough, I've been in England um, 13 years. Uh, so moved over here when I was about 11. Kind of floated around between a few teams. Uh, I was at Accrington Stanley for a long time. Come through the academy there. Made lucky enough to make my first uh, appearance there in the league. Um, and then kind of, yeah, just went on a few loans like Connor, just trying to get you know as much kind of experience in men's football as you can. Um then after kind of a couple of years as a pro there, ended up at Hartlepool, uh, spent a, a year out of a two-year deal there, and that's when Scunthorpe kind of come in and showed a bit of interest in me, and it was a it was too good a deal to turn down, come here and, and kind of play as much football as possible, and don't regret it for, for a second. Mm -hmm. So you've kind of still gone through the English system of, you've been yeah. since you like secondary school? Yeah, 100%. So I think all my kind of development in football has been here. Um, it's the reason why I kind of moved here at the end of the day. Um, and it's probably gone on for a lot longer than maybe we first thought when we first moved over here. But yeah, it's uh, like I said before, we yeah, wouldn't change it for the world. And you're born and bred. Yeah, <laughs> born, born and bred. I mean, my mum's my mum's Scottish, but my dad's Jamaican, but born, born in Sheffield. Mm. That's where I've lived my whole life. Oh. So for our like international audience that don't really understand the English football structure, could one of you paint a picture of like how many leagues we have, where Scunthorpe are in the English pyramid? One of you's a better doing that. Yeah, yeah. Got yeah. Good <laughs> well, obviously, obviously you got the the Premier League, which obviously we, it's obviously in terms of the whole pyramid, yeah. the Premier League's obviously step one, right? Uh, and then you've got the Championship, League One, League Two. So that's obviously that's fully professional, so to speak. Even though we are professional because we train every day, it's our full time jobs. That they're kind of known as the professional leagues. Okay. Uh, and then from then you've got the non-league pyramid. Yeah. So you've got the National League and then the National League North and South where it splits into into two. Yeah. I think that's mainly just to help with logistics of the travelling for, for a lot of clubs because a lot of the teams in our league 
the north and the south are part-time still okay so a lot of people have other jobs and, and things like that so okay. scunthorpe us at the minute we're in the national league north so just two leagues below the football league yeah yeah and there's isn't there seven steps there's I think there's seven that are... Yeah, so we're the seventh step in terms of the whole pyramid, but in terms of the, the non-league pyramid, we're step two. Get you. Okay. So um, you said that you guys are full-time. Is that more common or not with the National League, uh, National League, National League, North and South? Are there more full-time players or part-time players, do you think? I'd say when you drop into the north and uh, south, it kind of would be predominantly part-time. Um, we're obviously very lucky enough to, to kind of still be full-time. A lot of clubs now, I think they're looking down the route of that uh, hybrid kind of scheme, which will go to three times a week throughout the day and obviously allows players that are already there to keep the day jobs or, or mix it up. Um, and then obviously the National League above us now is predominantly full-time. I mean, all the teams in there, are, you know, it's just another kind of league too, in a sense that the standard there is frightening now. Yeah. It's, it's such a tough, tough league to get out of. Um, so it is kind of, it is a big jump if you do come from the North or South leagues and you are a part-time team to go into that league. Mm. But like, I mean, Ross, I saw on your Instagram, you do some coaching on the outside. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have my own like one-to-one coaching business in terms of helping the younger players go and achieve their dreams in terms of what I'm doing now, really. Yeah. Uh, but that was my job when I was part-time. But yeah. also for me, it was kind of like you touched on it at the start about we're not Premier League players, we don't earn the money that all the Prem players earn. So for me, for that's kind of something preparing for when I finish playing. Okay, okay. So you, do you still do it now? Yeah, so yeah. I do that Monday to Friday. So I finish training here, I'll go home, recover, have yeah. some food, oh. and then I'll, I'll go and coach. Is that um, like the majority of players have a second job here or not? I uh, don't think so. Some players do. There's a couple like that do. There's a handful that yeah. kind of all start to do something to. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, kind of like what's described as like a side hustle. Yeah, yeah. It might not necessarily be like a full, another job. Like, yeah, some of you do. But yeah, when you finish training and kind of doing your own hours, I think there's a lot of lads that are starting to find little bits and pieces to do. Because it might be like topping up the income. Yeah. Um, do you, do you mind like trying to give a picture to people? There was something online that said the average wage for a National League player would be £700 a week. But then if there's essentially like two National Leagues, like two parts of it, then that could be quite wide ranging. Um, the, the players in the National League could be earning, yeah, I don't know, a couple of thousand a week. And then it then could like drop the average right down with National League South. I think it all depends on your budget as a club. Right. If, you're, if you're a big club, you have a lot of income, like your fan bases and things like that, which the club here, we rely a lot on the fans coming through the gate in terms of which help fund the club. Um, then you've also got other clubs, for example, like your Wrexhams or places like that. Yes, they rely on that, but also they've got big, obviously, Hollywood owners who yeah. are worth millions. Uh, so they can afford to, and they can get big sponsors in and things like that. So their budget can be what can be higher. Do any of you know what like a Wrexham player is on? I like yeah, I think like Ross said, it varies so much. Um, the standard is getting higher because bigger teams are in this league can pay more, so they're getting better players in, and that's kind of how the league's going. And and it's then tough for the other teams that kind of, like I said, step up from north and south and don't have that funding and just got to kind of roll with the punches um, in a sense. So it's kind of, it is tough to gauge, but 
Yeah, it'll vary so much throughout the league. I've read some of the bigger players in the National League run sort of between three and six a week. Really? Good, good, yeah, uh, if you're yeah. at one of the, the top, top mm. National League clubs, who, for example, a lot of the top, top National League clubs are ex-Football League. Yeah. So they've still got, obviously, the big fan bases from when it was in the league. So you've got your Chesterfields and, obviously, last season, County and Wrexham, they're big. They were Football League clubs, so they've still got that big, massive fan base where they can afford to, to pay those players that kind of money. It's helpful to know because parents can then start to understand if they're working with their child to help them be a footballer and they're committing so much effort. I mean, in London, it's crazy. Like some parents are even homeschooling, they're they're driving their kids that are seven years old to maybe like five clubs a week, you know, it I mean, that's extreme, but I'm just giving you an idea. It's like a lot of one-to-one sessions, a lot of hours of practice. But I think some parents are saying, well, you know, there's this golden ticket at the end. If, like, we could do it, if we could make our child a footballer, then the rewards are there. But then they do also need to understand, well, you're not, like we said at the start, not all going to play Premier League. So then getting a picture of if they do end up playing in lower divisions, yeah, what does that look like? Um, what what is what is a picture of your like day to day, yeah, day to day schedule? Like, what what are you doing day to day? Just depends here because we in Scotland we usually just play every Saturday, but here we've been playing every Tuesday and Saturday because there's twenty four teams in the league. So on a Monday it's just recovery really. Don't okay. really do much. Usually we get Sunday and Wednesdays off, and then on a Thursday it's just light as well because we've got a game on Saturday. And then Friday as well, which just shaped towards the game Saturday. So it's, it's you don't really train much because there's two games a week, and then all the facilities here are brilliant. And there's like food as well, which is you get breakfast, you get lunch, and you wouldn't expect it from a team that's in the National League North, but it's, it's a lot better than what I expected before I came down. Okay, um, how have you adapted to living in Scunthorpe? Uh, it was tough at the start. I thought like. At the start, it was hard to come down by myself because I've never been away from home. Yeah. But now that I'm here and I'm playing, it's I'm enjoying it and I'm I'm loving life now that I'm playing. So, but it was it was very tough at the start. I was going to ask like the facilities and the resources that you guys get. So you're injured at the moment. So yeah. Like, access to physios and all that sort of stuff. Is that all taken care of by the club? Like are the club big enough to look after all that sort of stuff? Like you said, you get food and everything else. Do you have to like go to one anyone else outside of here to get anything, or is it all just the clubs? As far as as far as injuries go, you know, we've got obviously physios in with us every day. So I know I've got to come in a little bit earlier than everyone else, see them for training and they kinda of look over kind of what's how I've improved or if I've you know, I haven't improved. And then you just kinda of crack on. We've got obviously a gym downstairs and everything that we kinda of need here. Um, so we can kinda of just get a you know, obviously we've got a strength conditioning coach and as well. So they kind of help you massively with all that day-to-day stuff. Um, as for outside of it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say apart from obviously if you've got to go for a scan or, or vice versa or something like that, an X-ray, then you have to either go to the hospital or go to a special kind of sports clinic to get that done. But um, I'd say in the foremost, the club will sort that all out for you and, and kind of help you out with all that, which is obviously in the day, kind of their part of their job to do so. So I think I was fine with getting mine done the other week. There was no problems with that. Sort it out quick and easy. Yeah, it's one of the big things um, I try and kind of promote and communicate with the players and the parents I work with is, like you said, Premier League down to League Two is technically professional. Yeah. But now there's so much money involved in national leagues. Like it's you guys are full time professionals and you're getting looked after, nutrition, physio, everything else. So it's um, 
becoming a professional football player. And I think in the next five to ten years, um, this national level will also be deemed as professional as well. You yeah, know, kind of unofficially is already. But yeah, I, think yeah, I like to call the National already. League League Free. Personally, it, it, it essentially yeah. is League Free because I think mm-hmm. you've seen a lot of the teams that get promoted from the National League. They never hardly ever come back down. Mm. They always kind of kick on again to either go on to League One or they'll be pushing at the top of League Two. I think Wrexham and Notts are both in League Two, like flying high in League Two. They're yeah. not just in there and all of a sudden in the relegation zone already. Yeah, there's teams they're like over well. the years, I think you've got like Harrogate, Stockport, mm. all those type of teams who were kind of, they've got promoted from the National League and kind of just kicked on. So that's yeah. why I kind of like to say it's, it's League Three because the standard between the two is not massive. Like Regan said, the jump between the National League North and the National League is quite a big jump, especially for a, a part-time team. But the jump from National League to League Two, you can see that the top teams that normally go up, they, they stay up there and do really, really well. Mm. How common is it for players to move up divisions, like you know, getting bought from the, the lower leagues? I feel like it's tough, though. Isn't it? it's, maybe at a younger age it's easier if you're doing well, but when you get older it must be near impossible to get a really? good move. Yeah. Really? But what about the stories that you see in the media, like Jamie Vardy yeah, and Ian Wright and Kevin Keegan? Ethan Pennant. Ethan Pennant. Yeah, I think it's more kind of if you come through the leagues with that club. I think there's the lad at um, Luton who's come through yeah. from the National League, went all the way through and is now still with them yeah. in the Prem. Um, but I think Connor's right. I think it's harder when as you get older um, because clubs look at you and think, oh, he's maybe not got long left. So they're not really up to spending money on you to, to buy and purchase you to when knowing they've only got maybe a couple of, couple of years left out of you. But for a younger player, someone like, like Connor's age, a lot of the clubs will be looking, thinking, yeah, we could get five years out of him. Mm. So it's a lot more appetising for them to go, yeah, we'll, we'll have a look at him. That's interesting. And that is probably what I believed as well. I did think that. Um, having like scouted with Chelsea and seen what it's like, even with like so much of our focus on under sevens, under eights, we build like very strong on the nine teams that the core group will generally stay with us through until like the under eighteens. And now with Brexit, it's even like in the past, like under sixteen there'll be floods of kids coming in from like abroad. But now we don't have that anymore. So yeah, our core group is staying as it is. It then, I think under 14s, it changes so we can then start recruiting nationally. So then that's where they might have some top players from wherever it might be that then travel down or whatever happens. Um, but yeah, I was, I was thinking that, yeah, in terms of like players coming from the lower leagues, that, that is, it's very, very hard to do. Yeah, it's tough. Um, You've got to be kind of really yeah. banging goals in every week or really, really excelling and standing out. That, 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 that's what support. I was thinking. I was thinking that it's probably more common to have maybe goal scorers or centre-backs. They're the types of players that get brought up because just talking about what I'm saying about at Chelsea, how they have maybe like 50 scouts, I think, 50 to 40 for a lot focused on younger ages. So they don't have that much resources to send scouts to non-league games. And I'm sure if that's the same for a lot of the other clubs. So then it's probably a lot on data where they're making judgments. So then they will see, oh, Connor's banging in all these goals. How many have you scored recently, Connor? Uh, six goals six goals scouts there's top <laughs> talent here come on <laughs> <Flying>. <laughs> um, 
um so yeah so so yeah they'll, they'll be looking they'll be looking on on you know i, I don't want to say it's like lazy scouting but it's that people have got so much on their plate the scouts they've got so many reports to do they've got so many players to cover so it's like they're not necessarily going to get out to watch and so if you're sentiment field and you've got all these subtleties to your play you know you might be scanning you might be getting into good positions but they've probably been working really hard on a centre midfielder for years, their own one from their own academy. They're not necessarily looking to buy one from non-league. They might, however, be looking to get a six foot five centre back that they definitely need to help them with set pieces. Let's say Ethan Pinnock as an example, or someone who just finds the net and is scoring goals and is just on hot fire. And so they can make the jump um, because their stats are like, that's it's like some like theories that I've had around players that make up the jump. But I don't know if that, if that rings true for you guys. No, I think a lot of, a lot of clubs now these days are going down the data route. Yeah. Like statistics and things like that. I think, uh, I think Notts County are massive on it, aren't they? Uh, they're really big on, on their statistics and stats. I think, I'm not sure if you've ever seen the film Moneyball. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of, <laughs> great film by the way. Uh, a lot of teams are going down that route and looking for stats and, and things like that. I think a lot of teams are doing that. Mm. Well, like like you said, with stats, all the games are filmed and you can get access to them this day and age. So it's kind of like if scouts can't get to one game, they'll be able to watch two or three in in a weekend just on online somewhere. So yeah. it's kind of like they'll probably go down that route and see it. They'll obviously look at it, like you're talking about goals and, and kind of things like that. That's why I think for attackers, it's if you're on fire, then... You know, you, you're going to be kind of up there and in the eye of all these scouts. I think mm. defenders might be a little bit different. It's a bit maybe kind of harder. You might be a great defender, but there's there's not a lot of kind of big stats on kind of that maybe, or maybe I just don't see it, but I feel like it's definitely more prominent with the with the attackers scoring goals and, and kind of doing all that. So do you guys, um, not you three specifically, but maybe you three, just kind of more general um, at this level, would you work with agents with the aspirations of trying to play at a higher level and then, yeah, you're working with an agent to try and engineer a move to a bigger club? Or is that just, if you're kind of at your level, you're happy at that level? And... Well, I mean, you kind of, uh, I can probably yeah, speak to all of us here. You're always going to try and get as high as possible. You're always, probably from, I don't know, I think it was, I just got me pro and then kind of went down the agent route to, more of that time to help with loans and everything to get out and get experience. You're always going to have probably one there with you. I think there'll be a couple of people that don't feel the need to have one and can kind of work on moves themselves. But I think it's always good to have them in the background because, you know, you, you have a good run of games or a good season and that. And clubs kind of like the look of you and come knocking, then you've got someone there to do that side of things and you don't really have to focus on that yourself. You can just focus on continuing playing well and, and kind of, like I said, get highs, highs in the league as possible. So is it common for players of this level to have a, an agent? I'd say, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah, so probably would, yeah. I, think, I think if you if we went around the dressing room, I think you'd probably say a whole team probably. Near, near yeah, enough. Near enough. Yeah. Near enough. Yeah. And will it be with some of the biggest agencies that will also work with Premier League or is it more sort of smaller boutique agencies that might have a, just a smaller number of players on their books? I think it varies. It does vary, yeah. Um, you know, like I've played with lads that might have been at a like Blackburn Rovers Academy or something like that who, you know, they're in the champ, they're coming through, might have these big companies after them. And then I think at the time when, 
when I kind of was breaking through into the Accrington Elite too, it was, you know, you'd get littler companies that kind of, you know, lesser players, but kind of will focus on you a little bit more, yeah, maybe if that's the case. And yeah. then it, and then it's just preference, what you kind of prefer, I guess. Um, if you want someone that's always there hands-on, obviously you're going to go with the, the company that doesn't have as many players um, and will focus on you more, or you can go with these big companies that you know, might offer you boots here and there, but yeah. it's it's just not really going to answer your calls. Just down to choice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so in terms of if you were giving advice to parents who've got a player who's maybe in a academy with a lower league club and the agent comes in and maybe there's two agents one from Wasserman and one who is I don't know in the local area and working with a few different players around that level would you advise to go with maybe the other agent it's tougher I think I think it's hard I think it depends on the individual and what you're looking from an agent what you're looking for so like for me personally I wanted an agent who was wasn't just football related, it was more of a people person as oh, well. Right. So it was going to be there with me through the downtimes where I was struggling, or I was injured or going through bad form or not someone who just wanted to, to be there when I was playing well and try and get me a movie so they got to, mm. to be able to line their pockets. Uh, so I think it all depends kind of what you're looking for in your agent. If, like Regan said, if you're looking for someone who's going to get you free boots and this and that, then but then when you're struggling, you're not playing, they don't, they're not speaking to you mm. or things like that, then... That, if that's what you want, free boots, and that's obviously you want to go for them type of agents. But if you want someone who's going to be there with you through the downtimes, I think that's really, really important. Someone who's real good. One, got the contacts, which is obviously important, mm-hmm. uh, but also is a good person. So I think I find you find a lot of agents who want to move players for the sake of moving them. Because, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, if you're happy at a club, then the agent doesn't really need to do much uh, if you're playing and you're happy. But I think if, if you become unhappy at a club, that's when obviously your agent then becomes really, really important. But mm. you want someone who's going to check in with you every now and again to make sure everything's all right at the club, everything's good at home, because everybody knows how much it can affect your performance, things going on. But you want someone there to, to look after you who's going to be there all the time. I think that's really, really good advice. Sometimes parents will ask me, they'll say, oh, look, we've got this agent. They might be, let's say, with a 16-year-old. And they're saying, oh, yeah, we've had these approaches from these agents. What should we do? And my feedback is like, look, they just you just need to worry about your kid's football. Yeah. Like yeah. the agent can only do so much. Yeah. This is what I think. Like, you know, the football does the talking. But do you, do you think maybe the agent, if you get the right agent, they actually will make a difference? They will actually help you, you forge out a career? A hundred percent. All right. 100% and obviously it goes back to what Ross said in terms of finding that right one for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I quite like the guy I'm with. I mean, I used to play with him when I was coming through at Accrington, so I know him before he was my agent. Yeah. Um, and he used to help me a lot, so it was kind of an easier decision for me to go, okay, well, I know what he's like. I know what he's going to tell me. If, you know, if I have a bad game, he's going to be there and go, look, you need to, you need to like, do better. Yeah. If I have a good game, he's not going to be like, yeah, mate, best player in the world, you know, flying and, you know, kind of blow smoke up you. So it's having that happy medium. I need honesty and, and kind of there if I need you. I, mm. That's why I kind of work with them and people like that. So it is, it is kind of down to little things like that. And, and that's in my eyes. Like I said, everyone's different. Have you guys ever thought about playing abroad? Uh, I think I'd love to play abroad, but I just never had the chance to actually do it. But I would, I would definitely love to play abroad. You're still with Hearts, aren't you? Yeah. 
And so then they've got an arrangement of Scunthorpe. Yeah. Do they feed quite a few players at Scunthorpe? Is there a partnership or is it just that, that they worked out? I think that was the first time someone's ever came from Hearts to Scunthorpe. Oh, right. Okay. I, don't know, I don't know how it came about. It just actually I got a... So it was ongoing for a while and then it was on the... I think it was like a Tuesday night and yeah. then my agent basically phoned me saying like, they want they want to do it. Do you want to go? And I was like... Uh, I spoke to my dad and I was like, yeah, let's go. So I ended up going up that night and then signing the next morning and then... It just it just worked like that and mm. I've been here for about two months now and obviously I said at the start it was tough but now I've obviously all the boys are great here so it's been it's been good since I've been here. So with that you was at Parks you Accrington Academy. Yep. Um Scunthorpe Academy when it was on um, yeah. everyone. Um so yeah, can you briefly kind of describe when you got into football, were you kind of in and out of an academy or was you just at the same place and then how you kind of ended up specifically here? Um, I went, so I was at Harps, Celtic and Hibs all at the same time, obviously training with all of them. I think it's different at young. I was like six, seven, eight. And then by the time I was 10, you had to pick one. So at the time, all three of them said that they wanted to sign me. But I was like different at that age. I didn't really know how it worked. So I just, Harps was the closest one for me. And I just signed there. And then since I was 10, 11, 12, I just stayed at Harps and then, when I was I left school at fifteen and I went and signed a pro at fifteen, which isn't isn't really allowed in England, but wasn't really great in school, so they just let me they let me go. So <laughs> so I went to I signed when I was fifteen and then I made my professional debut at Hearts at sixteen, and then since then I just played a bit at Hearts and then went on six seven loans and found myself here. So it's mad how everything really works. How did you adapt to playing in front of like reasonably big crowds? Um, when I was about, as I say, when I was about 16, 17, I played uh, in quite a few big games at Hearts. I played against Celtic at Parkhead, which oh, was like, you? yeah, it was about 60,000 there. So, oh, wow. You know, was, did you bring that up on us? It's first time for it. First time for it. He doesn't say it a lot, to be fair. Uh, nah, so that was, that was oh, my whole family's Celtic fans as well. So it was, that was a good privilege for yeah. me. Yeah. Oh, what an experience. Yeah, it was good. So that's a bit of a baptism of fire because I often wonder that with like youth players, like how they can make the adaption from just playing youth games in front of 400 people to then suddenly getting out there in front of yeah, thousands. Yeah, like, is there a psychological difference? You know, they become too anxious. They start making bad decisions because their head's all over the place. Has that happened with you guys at all? Like, do you remember how you transitioned into playing in front of crowds? I think for me, I kind of enjoyed it more. Yeah, I yeah. did. I think, I think for me, it was like growing up, you always dreamed of playing in front of that many, that many thousands of people as young kids. So when you get that opportunity, you're kind of just thinking, oh, you just thrive off it really. Right, I, think. Yeah. I think the hardest thing for me personally was in lockdown when we played with no fans. That was the, the hardest. I think it depends what type of player you are. If you, I feed a lot of the fans, a lot of my energy comes from yeah. the fans and things like that. It really drives me on. Um, but in lockdown, probably the hardest for me is I found that more being anxious and stuff like that with, with no fans because it's just silent. When, when you're out and about, do you guys get mobbed? Um, well, I've <laughs> never really, yeah. I don't, no, not really. I wouldn't say. Well, I, I don't live around in Scunthorpe, so okay. I'm, I'm over in Doncaster, so okay. I wouldn't say over there. Um, you get it. But yeah, you obviously, you kind of, you knock around, you walk in a coffee shop next door and you, you kind of get one or two people say, like, oh, mm-hmm. God, that's such and such. That's, 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 
Yeah, it's such a lie, by the way. Everyone loves First game of the season, yeah. all the fans turned up with fake mullets on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but see, we looked in the away end, and yeah. everybody had Regan Ogle masks and mullets on. <laughs> it's brilliant. So, yeah, I, I, oh, I don't think I'm allowed to cut it off anymore, so I think it's got to stay. Um, yeah, because it seems that the Scumport people are so passionate about their club, like, like crazy passionate. Um, so then, yeah, by being able to like, I, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, you know, you, you, you saying that you live in Doncaster. Do, do you guys live locally to Scunthorpe, or do you live outside? I do right now because right. I, I'm I stayed two minutes up, up there, so I'm obviously because Scunthorpe put me in, but I've only been here two months, so. You're scoring all these goals. I know, I know. I get a few, but when I go, I go co- Costa across the road before yeah. before the games, just get a coffee and sometimes, but not not much now. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. And sorry, just going back to some, I'm, I'm sort of interested in the like journeys here. Um, said uh, Hearts, and then now here, um, Accrington Stanley. You said, yep. So was that a like a Cat Two Academy or Cat Three Academy? Or um, I think it was well, League Two at the time, so it would have been a Cat Three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, how old were you when you joined there, and then what happened? I was 11 when I moved over, and I moved over after getting a, a deal with them. Um, so it was a weird, it was kind of a weird period. It all happened pretty quick for me. Uh, two weeks out of school, uh, back in Australia, I had a, came over in at trials at Accrington, Preston, and Wigan. Um, you know, a couple of them did okay, a bit nervous. It was a completely different, obviously, environment. Um, but fortunate for me, trial at Accrington went really, really well. Uh, they kind of. I think it was like a couple of days into it, I was offered a, a contract there and, and then parents kind of just put it down to me. They just said, look, it's up to you if you want to do it. What was football like in Australia at that time? It was... Compared uh, to England? Oh, like minimalistic. It's nothing over But there. I mean, like academy level, sorry. Nothing. Like, oh, you had oh, A-League right. and, oh. and that was it. A-League teams now have started to produce academies. Um, it's going in the right direction massively over there now. I think they've just, as of two days ago, introduced... A second league below the A League, and that's coming in like twenty twenty five or something. So they'll have promotion and relegation. But as for when I was there, it was I played like Saturday league with my mates, my local team. Just um, your own age group. Just my, uh, I think I was like a year above. I think I started right. like a year yeah. early, and, and obviously I was playing a year above. And then in New South Wales, they brought in this uh, Project Twenty Two. It was called, and it was um all the lads in, in New South Wales just come and trial. Just any any age group, you just come and trial and they'll break you up in each age group and then into each section. It was like north, south, east, west, far north, far south, far east, far west. And they were your teams. You were in two ages, kind of like youth teams do here, um, first and second year. And I was lucky enough to get into that. And the whole thing around that was training young lads up because Australia wanted to get the 2022 World Cup. So that's what it was, was the, the project for that. So I did that for a year and, and loved that. Uh, and then it was right at the end of the season is when they went down the route of, oh, do you know, you know, go to England. A friend of ours did it. And and I just went, yep, why not? You know, was no you the trying. star player out in Australia? Were you no, no, by really? no means. No, I never, play, never, never played for the Australian national team coming up from any age group. It was just... I had maybe something that would I thought was good enough to come over here, and yeah. and I thought, why not? I've got the opportunity, you know. May as well take it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we just took it once I got here, took it year by year, contract by contract, and 
you kind of looked, it was like six, seven years down the line and I was kind of making my debut as a second-year scholar. So it was kind of yeah. uh, moments like that. I'm like, yeah, totally worth it. I could go home now and I can say I've played in the a football league in, in England. So it was a, definitely a proud moment for me. That's what I was going to ask. So you, um, you made your debut for them. Yep. And then kind of what, what happened? Um, it, was a, it was a weird one. Yeah, so I made my debut as a second-year scholar then quickly got the pro after that. It was right at the end of the season. Um, and then I would say I was kind of in and out on the bench here and there in my first kind of year there. Young lad, it was tough then at Accrington's. We didn't have a 23s. So you went straight from under 18 straight to the, the first team and it's either you're good enough or you don't play or you try and go on loan. Um, didn't go on loan the first year. I think made a... Uh, maybe two or three appearances in cups and stuff like that, nothing major. And then that's when I was like, oh, I just want to play football and kind of started to be like, look, send me on loan, you know, send me on loan, I want to go. I think I went in every day for a week straight to the gaffer and probably got to the point where he was just sick of it and kind of went, all right, I'll let you go. And so I went on a year loan and uh, funny enough, I went to, we were playing tonight at Southport. So <laughs> had a uh, had a good season there, really enjoyed it and uh, so much that I ended up getting loaned back there the following season. Um, but unfortunately, that was when COVID hit. So the uh, the season finished there quite early. Um, but yeah, I was always just like, I don't really want to sit here and do nothing. It was just, I want to play football. That's all I want to do. And then I think it was like one or two loans after that. And uh, then the contract kind of ran out at Accrington. Me and the gaffer sat down, both agreed that it was best for me to, to move on. Um, so yeah, ended up. Hartlepool for signed a two-year deal there, and after a year, obviously Scunthorpe come knocking, and I just couldn't say no. You know, they promised me game time, which obviously isn't always guaranteed, but I believed them. And, and then looking back at the season, it wasn't the greatest season for the the club. Obviously, getting relegated again, unfortunately, but I, know I walked away with I think it was like thirty-seven games, so it was exactly what I wanted, exactly what I needed, and uh, yeah, don't regret it. And Ross, so Scunthorpe used to be. Championship at one stage. Yeah. So at one stage they had a, an academy and that's what you were part of. Yeah, I remember watching. I'm a Sheffield United fan. You used to go watch Sheffield United. So I remember watching Scunthorpe beat mm. Sheffield United in the championship uh, years ago. So I joined the academy at age 10. So my journey is a lot different to the boys here. Um, so I never played in the football league or like played professional like, <clears throat> like Connor and Riggs. Um, so I was in the academy from under 10 to under 15. Uh, Sorry, back then that would have been just like a normal Cat 2, Cat 3 academy. Uh, we were Cat 3. Yeah. yeah, we were Cat 3. Um, at least they just trained just up the road from here. Um, and then got released at under 15s uh, after five years and then went to play grassroots and was going on trial places and things like that. But at that time, a lot of teams had already sorted their scholars out. Um, so then I ended up, my dad brought a leaflet home. It was like FC Halifax Town, like open trials. And it was much more like a college program. Mm. Um, obviously, but it was linked to the first team because they didn't have a proper academy because they were non-league. They were in the same league as what we're in now. So I just went and did did the college course there and while playing football alongside it and was lucky enough at the end of my two years to be given a contract with the first team. Mm. And then from there, just went through the route of non-league football really and yeah. found myself here today. Oh, brilliant. Cause that's, like, there are just so many different pathways now into being a quote-unquote like professional football player. Like we've said Premier League down to League 2 is professional but now this is a professional standard so three completely different journeys mm. um, but all ended up living the dream. Like you get to wake up and say you're a football player and you get paid for it. Yeah. Like that's incredible. Yeah. That's really incredible. Do any of you have any children? 
No. no. <laughs> um, so, I'll skip that question. <laughs> um, if you did have children, would you, yeah, would you encourage them to play football? Tough question, though. Really? Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Would you, would you kind of encourage them to try and pursue football as a career? I think I would wait. I would encourage them to play, but I think I wouldn't send them into an academy as young. I think I'd let them enjoy, like, I don't know what they call it here, but we call it boys club back in Scotland. So I think I'd let them do that before they go into, like, a, an academy. Because I feel like I was playing... I wasn't. In, I was just playing because I played for Hearts at the time. I wasn't enjoying myself as much. All my mates were out like winning trophies at their at their like boys' club teams, and I was like playing to try and get a contract. Obviously, I'd, it worked for me. But Did they make it footballers. <laughs> so, uh, nah, none of them. Oh, so, but, okay. uh, <laughs> but nah, I feel like it was. I would maybe just say boys' club to start with, and then if you're if you're enjoying that, then wait until you're a bit older before you try and go professional. Difficult though, because then the longer yeah, the harder it is to get into that system, is there's, yeah, there's a lot of that. But I think it comes down a little bit because you're not the first footballers who've given that answer. I think there are quite a few footballers that they make it, but they're not looking for their kids to be footballers. You're shaking your head, Ross. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, I think, like I said, everyone's different. Like I said, you've had different answers from a lot of footballers. Uh, for me, like I'd like them to play football. But if they, I'm not sure I'd want them to pursue it as a career. Really? Yeah, I think. Me per, I just think because of, I think, I sometimes like feel guilty when I'm coaching as well at this, is that sometimes they don't, people don't realise what comes with playing professional football, how tough it is and I think physically. And like, like Connor said, there's some, a lot of the sacrifices you have to make yeah. with, with not spending time with your mates and, and things like that. You miss out on a lot growing up. Um, and also how damaging it can be, kind of physically, and mentally, and it can it can really take its its toll on you. So, and I think as a as a father, I'm not sure I'd want my child to go through that. Um, but if they if that's what they wanted, then I'd obviously 100 percent support them, like my mum and dad supported me because uh, it was my dream. They supported me for everything that I've done. Um, I'd support them, but if they if they didn't want to pursue it as a career, I think part of me inside would be would be very happy. That's so interesting. What what do you think? No, I, I totally agree. I think I'm in a, a weird situation because I've probably got my heart set on moving back to Australia. That's right. you know that's kind of I'm here for football and I love being here, you know, and everything. But a little di- different for me now. My family and all that live over there. Like just me and my sister here, um, so my parents are back there. But I mean, like I probably do what my parents did. They never forced me in any sport. I think I've played every sport under the sun growing up. Especially over there, it's just kind of the way of life. Mm. Uh, you kind of play everything. So as long as I would like my kids to be sporty, um, you know, that's all I've ever known. And I love sport. And then it's just let them go with it. And whatever they want to play, you know, more than welcome to play. And I'll, I'll support them in that. Mm. Um, I think it's just the right Reece, path. We, we did an interview with Reese and Lauren James's dad, Nigel James, and he said something similar. He said that the amount of effort you put in to make it, you could put that same effort in and, or he said in the episode, you could become the president. Um, I think he's being a little bit tongue in cheek, but there's, there's something in like the amount of work it takes. And then he's been so fortunate because both his kids, well, he's got, he's got three kids, but two of his kids ended up playing at the very, very top. 
and getting fortunes and living that life. But yeah, majority, it doesn't work out like that. We had, um, do you know the guy, Daniel Cutting? He's the, he's a freestyler um, and then now sort of transitioned into content creating. He said of what he earns off YouTube and social media, he said that he thinks he earns more than championship players. And then we were talking about his kids and we were saying, are you going to encourage him to try and be pro? And he was really torn with it. And he was sort of a bit like, well, he, he would definitely be encouraging him to get into social media. He's already set up a page for him. He's got something like 300,000 followers already. Yeah. Still kids. yeah, exactly. And he's already now giving him the formula. He's teaching him what it takes to be a successful YouTuber. Cause there's loads of like work, the algorithm and what you need to do to win at that. And he, he thinks that the effort you put into that is more, more worthwhile. You get a better return on investment than football because football is so risky. You, it's so hard to make it at the very, very top levels. Do, you, do any of you think you could have done more growing up? Like how dedicated were you? Was you training like pretty much every day? Can you look back and go, actually, could have done this, could have done that? I feel like anyone could, everyone could have done a bit more, but I feel yeah. like you've done... All of us have sacrificed a lot, probably, yeah. to mm. get to where we are. But mm. if we wanted to maybe go further, we probably could have done more. I think it comes a certain point, though, where, yeah. yes, you sacrifice so much. And like I said, I think everybody can look back and say, I could do a little bit more here, a little bit more there. Um, but I think also you kind of need to think, I look back and I think, actually, I'm kind of glad I didn't do that because my childhood would have been completely gone. Yeah. Okay. And I wouldn't have had any childhood, which I think is such an important thing to have growing up. Interesting. Uh, so I think that's, that's really important. You could have done much more. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I, mean, I, think <laughs> I started with yeah, a big sacrifice. But I, would, I wouldn't even say it's a sacrifice company because it would probably be more for my sister my parents a sacrifice and, mm. and everything. But at the time for me, it was that's all I wanted to do. So, yeah, okay, I did sacrifice probably a lot in terms of when I was in school and kind of like, no, I've got training, I can't go to this house party or I can't, you know, kind mm. of see my mates. But at the time, it was... I was there for football, so it was kind of easier to... I've moved here for football, and that's what I want to do. Mm. It was easier to kind of block it out. Looking back on it, it's like, I wouldn't mind enjoying times like that, but certainly wouldn't change it for the world. Like, I wouldn't wouldn't do anything different. Like Con said, everyone could say they can train more, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's just part and parcel of it. Really, really interesting answers. Um, I, I want to just shift things to really focusing on the football now. And like, I've had some people say that, Football in the Premier League or whatever is almost like a different game to what it is at like non-league level. What do you think of that statement? Totally agree. Paul. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. It's just the finer things. It's you know that's the reason we're here for a reason. It's you know the top level players are there for a reason. It's them little things, the touch, the pass, the you know their ability on the ball and off the ball. It might not be a million miles away, but it's them slight percentages that are the reason why they're there and we're down here. Okay. And it is, it's them things. Sometimes you've got it or you haven't. Sometimes you can work on it and sometimes it's just God-given talent. So it is, there is a big, I'd say, difference. Okay. Yeah. Can you describe those differences? Off camera, Connor, you were saying that why is lower league football more direct? Yeah. I don't really know. Obviously, I've never played in the Premier League, but I don't really know. I think it's just because, they're, as Reek says, they're here for a reason. They can't play out from the back, so they need to do that. Like, so, so you think it is direct? Like, when you're playing games yeah. at, at, in this division, 
it's in the air a lot more than what you see Man City do. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah okay. 100%. Yeah, definitely. 100%. But you don't see, obviously, nearly every team in the Prem now keeps a goal kick, the centre-backs are splitting yeah. and they're looking to play out and the ball's on the floor, whereas you you probably see the game tonight, that they'll, they'll have a goal kick and we'll all be, they'll all be squeezed up and we'll be ready to head it. Really? Yeah. That, that happens literally every goal kick for most of the games. And is that yeah. even in yeah. National League as well? Yeah, what yeah. percentage of we, teams will yeah. centre-backs split? We do it, we do it, to be fair. We, we, play. we, would, rather, we would rather our team come out and play against us. Yeah. Like, they want to come and kick it because they know that we want to. We want them to play. Yeah, I, I watched you guys against um, Banbury. Yeah. When you, yeah, yeah, on your shoulder, yeah. Good time when they come back. The one Stunthorpe game I watched, really badly injured. Yeah. Um, it was night and day. Like, you, you guys were, were yeah. Head and shoulders better than them, but you could tell. And then, so what they did, they just kept going along. Yeah. Putting it on your head, and then yeah, yeah. just smashing you. He's rapid, he's rapid though, isn't he? That's what got me into trouble. I probably shouldn't have gone for it, but that is what it is. But I wondered if that was a stereotype. I wondered if things had changed over the years and it's not so direct, and maybe the influence of better pitches, <clears> like, like 3G's more at non league level, and players coming down from academies from like cap one academies coming into lower league football and maybe things might have changed a bit but you're I think saying if, no if you look at the na- at our level you're probably looking more direct because I think because a lot of the teams are part time yeah they don't have the time to work on yeah. a, a style of play yeah. like, like we work a lot on training patterns of play and yeah. you've got to be here in this area and make this run whereas teams when they've been at work all day like it's a part time they've been at work so they don't know what they've been doing, they've been working in an office and they're training at night. The manager's like, they've been at work all day, don't really want to be putting all this into them because they're probably not going to remember half of it. Whereas, like I said, for us, because we've got all day to work on things and we can do it, but in the National League now, I think like last season, Notts County were absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> probably the best team I played against in terms of the way they moved the ball and just pinned us in it was absolutely unbelievable. Like, really? Outstanding, yeah. I'd imagine over the last... 15 years it's got a lot better it's still more direct yeah yeah. but yeah I think if you to look back 15 years ago the pitches weren't as nice yeah the pitches the, the, the pitches so now it's definitely got better but yeah. it's still but even with the pitches being better you're saying that 80% of teams around this division and division above are going to be taking goal kicks going long yeah, on yeah. 80% of their goal kicks yeah, yeah I'd, yeah, I'd say so again it comes down to the your gaffer at the end of the day as well what he style, his style of play that he wants to play I can't remember obviously played against the likes of Sutton they were oh, a very direct team really they were their gaffer just liked to feed off second balls very quick wingers that just running behind and gonna say it that's what the player that's what they're kind of and work from the player if, you're, if you've got that style of yeah, oh, 100%. If, if your manager has said, right, this is how we're going to play, I want that as my identity, then you find quick winners. Yeah. Like, you'll make sure to find, but the clubs at this level have that resource to go out and yeah, to recruit that sort of thing. I think in terms of, quick the, players, yeah. in terms of the recruitment, it's becoming a lot easier. So, like we talked about the data, there's a, there's a platform, is it Y, y Scout? Y yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a platform called Y Scout where every single player's on there. Every player in this league, league above, even up to the Premier League. So all the games are filmed and put on there. All your stats are on there. All your clips, your, like your highlighted clips, everything. So players can clubs can go on and look. So we get all our footage 
like for analysis on there because every team they I think they they have to don't they they yeah, have they have to along the lines yeah there. they have to upload it up onto the the system mm. so you could go on and you could type in Jude Bellingham or whoever and all these clips would come up you'd be able to watch all these clips mm. pretty sure it's a it's an international platform yeah. where you can go and find. So I'm thinking, if we're saying that, right, we've got almost these two different games, we're very direct, and do you see that in League 2 as well? Was League 2 direct? Are they stuck? I don't know. I would say maybe as much, but there's definitely teams that do it. It's uh, I think it's just part and parcel. Like, okay. There's teams that are going to be like, I think I seen something on Twitter the other day, um, it was passes within before, in their own half before getting it forward, and it was like there was a fair few teams that were very direct and went up one or two, and then they're hitting the strikers or something. That's League like Two, that. yeah. Yeah, League Two, and then right. yeah, obviously had the likes of like Notts County that were kind of the complete other end of the spectrum where yeah. they'd you know pass around the back four, get a move, and then kind of get it up there that way. So it's definitely up there. It's just probably not as common. I I know with the six, seven, eight year olds that I work with that I'm trying to help get signed to Chelsea. I, I'm seeing a player's first touch, and I know. Mm, that needs to improve. We need to get that better. We need to get that better off both feet. Because in my head, I'm thinking, if you're going to make it all the way, and Chelsea are signing players for that with that long-term potential, so they need a player that can play in those tight pockets, that can do all the things at the pace of the Premier League with you know, such little time on the ball. So then you're coaching in that way. Whereas maybe if you're coaching player that you know is going to play a lower division with a different type of football style maybe you become less concerned about some of those things do you, and that's my question like does coaching change do you think for, for the for the lower league clubs in their academies that's yeah, really interesting for you Rush because obviously you're a coach um, yeah do you have a maybe a philosophy and a mindset of can I make you a little bit more of an effective player to maybe play at a lower league or how do you approach um, coaching maybe? The way I approach my coaching is just to be, a lot of mine's more technique based. So be make sure they're comfortable on the ball. So we always like start with like a speed and agility warm up because you look at the players these days. I mean, if you ever watch Regan play, he's absolute powerhouse. He's quick. He's agile. <laughs> I think the modern day player now, you look at Bellingham, his balance is unbelievable. So you got to be a good athlete, but then got to be able to handle the ball. And I think if you can handle the ball and look after the ball, you can play at majority of the levels. As long as you get that experience of playing men's football, like Connor's had his loans, that's important. Because I've seen a lot of players when they come from, kind of, we had, we've had lads come on loan from Bournemouth at previous clubs and places like that, where they come into the team and they're not up to scratch and they're not, they can't really hack the men's game because they've been so used to pass, 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 where we just thought that it's a direct game and, Teams can't really handle that. So for me personally, when I'm coaching, I try and look at all the aspects, but mainly technique-based because I feel like if you look at the game now, as long as you have the ball at your feet and you're good with the ball at your feet, I feel like you can you can do well in the game. I remember I spent some time coaching at QPR and the guy who was the academy director to start with then was a guy called Steve Brown. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think he's like an ex-Wickham player. And then he got the academy job at QPR. Anyway, like I, I'd just come from Chelsea and then I was a bit sort of like, yeah, maybe a bit like shocked by how different it was. And then it was an under 14 session that I was watching and they were doing throw-ins and then they'll come in and then hooking the ball on. And I'm just like, why are you wasting time learning hooks 
They don't need to learn that. Yeah. Like, if you can set the ball and you can do a volley, you don't need to waste time like actually hoofing the ball in an area. Or people could just do that on their own. But maybe, maybe it's necessary. Maybe players, in, if they're going to be trying to be effective at lower league football, maybe the coaching has to adapt a little bit. I, I don't know. Just, just quickly on that, I currently coach a player who's done session with a lad who's at Man City. And we always do speed and agility in the warm-up. And he told me that they never do any SAQ or speed and agility stuff in the academy, which I found baffling. Because a lot of their, the way they play is everything's with the ball. They don't have to like sprint and change direction or chase the ball or be agile because a lot of stuff they do is with the ball. Uh, but I find that baffling because they create, yeah, I understand they create a player to play in Man City. But I don't think that does the players any any good because not every single player in that team is going to go and play for City. So you, he's under 16. So he's just coming to, towards his decisions. Um, so I feel like it's, a lot of the academies, yeah, yeah, the clubs are being selfish in terms of trying to create a player for that club. But I think I think it should change where you, you should try and create the whole player so they can get used to playing in that environment because not every player is going to play at that level. They got to learn if they come down here and they play in this league. They got to learn how to play in that league and understand different ways of playing. Do you think that very few top Cat One players can drop down and play low league football? That's a tough one. I feel, I feel like they can. In theory, yeah, you yeah. Would, you'd like to you'd think say so. Say yeah, but I feel in like what, in what positions? All the positions. I feel like it'd be easier as well to play. Like, easier for who? Like, like for them to play as in like they they always like come from a bigger club so like the managers like never like always just going to play them no matter what until oh okay so they get more opportunity yeah right? that's, that's until they, they'll keep playing until it clicks yeah until mm, until they I have see. a few bad games then drop but from the start they'll play, play no matter what but then but then the tools they've been given in the cat one training do you think they have enough of the tools to compete and earn a place at this level well I mean you. Jacob Butterfield as an example. Yeah. Our centre midfielder, you know, yeah, he's had a great career, high level championship and that. And you just kind of watch him and he's both feet. I still this day, I play with him a year and a half and I don't know what foot he is. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's frightening with both feet. He'll take one corner right foot, mm. go across, take it left foot. And, and you just look at him and you think, yeah, in theory, you should be able to. He's a centre mid. Obviously, then things change. I think in our league, it's a lot more hectic. So you kind of press 24 7. It's. You run around and you, you, you're always under the pump. I don't think teams, maybe sometimes here teams might sit off us, yeah. but they, there's little things like that where I think that maybe, and obviously pitch and everything, stuff like that comes into play, bobbles and everything like that and getting pressed at the time. But in theory, with the ability that these top players have, I think they'd, they'd be more than fine. But like with that, do you guys sort of think about your futures here then and think about yeah, players coming in then where does that leave you? What are your thoughts on like your future in the next three to five years? <laughs> Obviously, my future is just to play for Hearts. I've been Hearts fan since I've been young, so I've, obviously I've played a bit, but my future would be the only part of going on loan is to get more games and then go back to your parent club. So my future in the next three to five years would be to be a regular starter for Hearts back in Scotland. Mm. We're a little bit different to that, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, yeah, you, you do. You kind of you think, all right, so mining, like I said before, I'm, I'll, I'll end up back in Australia, whether that's after 30 or before 30. 
you know, I'm not against going and playing in the A-League. It just is at the right time. Um, right now, probably not. You know, 24, it's, it's, I don't want to go back yet. But, you know, give it a couple of years and the right deal might come along, then that's something I'll definitely look at. Um, more That's more down to, you know, a lot of my family have never seen me play football because I came here at such a young age, all my uncles and aunties and everyone and cousins and everything. They only hear about it, never see it. Um, so for me, I'm kind of probably upset on that, going home. It just, it's just a matter of when for me. And just taking it back a step to just some of the stuff, like talking about the tools that you give players so they can forge out a career. And literally, like, I had a conversation with my friend who's involved with Man City's under-18s, under-21s. I saying to him, like, what percentage do you reckon of the players that are in 18s or 21s are going to play Prem or Championship from your group? All right. 2%? We thought 5%, yeah. but that was probably maybe a bit generous. Yeah, maybe it is. 2%. You think 2%? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, so 2% are going to play Championship or above. I don't think that's just because of ability. I don't think, I don't think it's that low just because they're not good enough on ability. I think it's the other side. I think it's the mental side from that. Okay. In terms of, we'll have seen, especially like for Connor as well, I mean, you've been in an academy for so long, for so many years, and that's that's all you know. If you then don't get a new deal, or you, like for example, you see it a lot, the, the drop-off from lads playing football from 18 to 21 is massive because they get released and they're thinking, what do I do? Mm. And they just, they lose, they lose the love for it massively. And they think they give it up because they think it's not worth it because of how much sacrifice that they put in and they don't see that that reward because they've been released to think they just give it up and think it's not really worth it. So I think that percentage will be a lot lower, not based on ability, but based on more the mental side and how tough it is and the sacrifice and how mentally draining it can be and that disappointment. Because you went over to Ajax recently mm. and what was the stat they had for, what is it? For Ajax, they are, they're still technically the best academy in the world in terms of uh, producing players that go on to play professionally. Um, the criteria is a bit funny, but you, you kind of do need to draw a line somewhere in terms of what criteria you use. But it's, um, I think off the top of my head, it was between the age of 16 and 21. If you've spent three years at that club, you're classed as that club's player. Um, and then, so... Ajax, for example, I think it's Suarez um, went there when he was younger, um, at 16, 17. And then obviously we all know he's not from Ajax. Yeah. But Ajax can oh. kind of technically claim him because yeah. he spent majority of, majority of his time in that, um, at Ajax during that period. Um, and yeah, I think they've got maybe 85 players. But the pro, but technically... But the stat, the stat that I was interested in is what they said around if you get it to, if to 16 Ajax... It's like a ninety percent chance of becoming a footballer. Oh yeah, yeah. So if you're in the if you're in the IX system at under seventeen or older, yeah, I, I can't remember. The but it's like it's, it's like becoming. Long it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's like seventeen right now. But but it's like yeah, you you're making it as a professional footballer. But that's sort of any division. That's your full time footballer. Yeah. I think Chelsea have a similar stat. Like if you make it into the under eighteens then it is something like 90%. But that could be playing in America. That could be playing, yeah. I don't know, wherever. Yeah. But you're a full-time footballer. It's really interesting what you were saying there, Ross, because 
I'm thinking about those players that do get let go. They've had in their mind, I'm going to be a Premier League player. This is going to be my lifestyle. This is what my Instagram is going to look like. Yeah. This is where I'm going to be shopping. These are my holidays. Like, it's that. And then doesn't work out how they hope it does. And then they're potentially having to build up a career from the bottom leagues. And like, I think scumf- I think I've been so impressed at being taken around here today. But it does look different to Cobham. Yeah. And so then how can the players uh, react to things not being the same? Are they going to roll up their sleeves and do that? And mentally, that's very hard for a lot to do, probably. Yeah, that's why I said earlier about the fact that when I've seen lads come on loan from those Cat 1 clubs and then come into the side at this level, at the level above, and they're just nowhere near it. There's just absolutely nowhere because they can't get used to the environment and can't get used to the, the bobbly, horrible pictures. And the teams are going to be pressing them and things like that. They're just because a lot of the, them players who who normally come out on loan are the ones who have been playing twenty threes. Mm. So, like, if you've got like a an established first team player who comes out on loan, yeah, I'd expect them to absolutely rip it up. But if you've got someone who's kind of been playing twenty threes, it's a completely different game. If you put someone from, I think you probably agree from a, someone from a twenty threes game, been playing constantly all season twenty threes mm. into a national league north oh, game on a Tuesday night. Uh, did struggle. But what was the competition where they were mixing them up quite a bit? LDV uh, bands. Is it, is it the Papa John's? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's changed. Yeah, we had the twenty threes versus yeah, like our prem twenty threes and that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So how how is that working out? I mean, I don't. As we did, is I probably don't watch as much football as I, I should. Fair um, <laughs> but uh, I, I played in a couple of times and played against a couple of twenty threes teams. It was one case where we played Wolves or something like that and. I was at Accrington League Two. And I think they smashed us. They and smashed you. Yeah, I think it was something like three or four nil, like comfortable. Um, obviously, it does change in terms of I was a youth team player, second year right. scholar at the time. So the teams are kind of weakened in terms of it would be your fringe players will play or lads that need some minutes for the first team. I'm talking about okay. Um, and then I can imagine the 23 team is going to be full strength. So it yeah. does kind of chop and change a bit. I think if you put a full strength League One, League Two team out against obviously a 23s team, yeah, I think it'll be a good match. It'll just come down to kind of who controls it. So um, I think if you have a direct team and they control it, I think the 23s might find it a little bit difficult under pressure a lot might be at the uh, non-league team or the um, lower league team pitch and it's a bit bobbly so there's all these things kind of come into play whereas then if you have the perfect conditions then I think maybe yeah. the 23 is kind of will come away with it so it does it I mean it's different for every team and every style of play but I don't know what I think. so that is a bit different I suppose because psychologically the 23s are at their, with their parent club, they're with their type of coaches, they're with all their mates, yeah. so they're probably more comfortable in that. Oh, yeah. But oh, to yeah. your point there, saying an individual comes in on a Tuesday night and they're going to struggle, maybe individually, that is where where it's not going to work for them. Yeah, I think also as well, coming into a man's changing room okay. as well, which I think mm. which is, is a big thing as well. Where Describe that. Just in terms of the fact you're going to have senior... Like, in the 23s, a lot of the lads are obviously the same age. I think now you look at 23s football, you've got 16-year-olds playing, 17-year-olds playing. Whereas back in the day, obviously, reserves, you had first-team players coming back from injury playing. Mm. So I feel like in terms of when you've got like senior pros where it's it's their job, essentially, on the line 
and even if he goes like part time, they're knowing the fact that if they win, they get a bonus. It's going to help put food on the table for their families, for their mm-hmm. kids. And you got the winger who's just come out on come out on loan, and he's like being a bit show pony and not really wanting to get stuck in. And he's letting his winger not track his winger. You're going to get some thirty five year old bloke coming in the dressing room tearing you to shreds, and you got to be able to to tear that on the chin and, and handle ruthless. that. Yeah. A lot more ruthless. Something that Ajax do is every home game, they have four academy players going to the changing room just to experience yeah, the match. That's massive. Just to experience yeah. the changing room. That's good. Though. You saw it on they the, the Beckham documentary. Four um, spaces. So in the changing room, every space has the player's name above it. And then there's four without a name. So there are people for academy players to come oh, in. That's good. Yeah, that is good. So it's literally just to like, what you do on a match day. Show up, show up at this time. This is, this is the cleanup. This is whatever. You start to meet the staff there like first team banter and all that sort of stuff yeah. um, so then when they come into play they're ready for it so yeah. on the, the Beckham documentary obviously Fergie took Beckham into yeah. the dressing room at a young yeah. age just so he could see what it was what it was like I mean I always laugh at you look at the Neil Warnock TikToks <laughs> and stuff like that you see Neil Warnock that's what it's like in a dressing room imagine. It, does get, it does get like that at times uh, what about the, who was the, the famous one a few years ago Sinton Andy Sinton and is Andy Sutton? He said, "I'll oh, bring bring you dinner." Yeah, that's that still? Maybe not as bad, but I, like, I've I've seen people get pinned up and yeah. I've seen always... managers to threaten smashing people over the head with a tactics board and <laughs> yeah. threaten to could you say you could strangle him and it's yeah. it, is, it is like that compared to a twenty threes where it's oh, the really time, kill, is it? Like, well, I never was in the twenty threes, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. 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 and there's a kind of yeah. Yeah. He was at uh, Watford, um, and when he was with the uh, 23s, um, it was Sean Dyche at the time. Um, loved him as a player. Uh, Sean Dyche left. Whilst he left, my friend progressed into the first team. Um, Sean Dyche came back. He said that Dyche loved him when he was in the 23s, so he's buzzing. Like, he's just broken into the first team. Um, Old managers coming back who said he loved him, so he's absolutely buzzing, thinking he's going to get a chance. And first thing Sean Dyche does is release him, say, You're not ready for this. Um, I loved working with you in the 23s, and you were a great player. That's when my job was to develop a talent, and that's what you were. Now, my job is just to create a winning team. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just can't see how you're going to kind of fit into this culture that I'm going to be building. And that was it, he's gone. So it's cutthroat football, yeah. and that's why it comes. Back it's to luck. the question you said about, involved, yeah. about talking about our kids, like man, there's a parent trying to pick that player up and stuff like that, yeah. and it's like it's there's it's a lot of boxers that make career as boxers, but then it's like they're doing that for their family, so they've gotten themselves maybe out of a situation, they've made this career, but it's like they wouldn't want to put their kid getting smashed around in the head, exactly, because it's like that was just their step. And now the kid is going to maybe like do something else where they don't get punched in the head. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> I'm not like comparing football yeah, to boxing no, is no, different, no, but you see the extreme, you see yeah, the yeah. sort of analogy. You don't want your kid to go through the pain and the torture of, of getting heartbroken and stuff like that and going through that pain. Yeah. And, and I think we should have balance because we also don't want to just paint a really negative yeah. picture. Yeah, no, 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 no. yeah. I mean, all the upsides. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really yeah. excited to yeah. play in front of fans tonight. Oh, oh yeah. guessing your lifestyles are brilliant. Oh, yeah. The memories we've all yeah. created within yeah, football. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's huge. Like, 
Massive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're, you're in at half nine. You can sometimes get away by one o'clock, yeah. two o'clock, and that's you done for the yeah, day. Depending on what many jobs you can. Yeah, you've got on that day. Yeah. It's it's a big thing that through doing these episodes of the Project Footballer, um, a big thing that I wanted to teach parents is the realities behind mm-hmm. making a child or the child becoming a footballer, and it's like, do you really want to go through the sacrifice? Because it's all well and good saying that you want your kid to be a footballer, but you need to understand that hours and hours and hours of yeah. practice involved, yeah. driving the commitment of the parent and the commitment of that child. And then if you're willing to do all of that, then, okay, well, here's what you could potentially do, but understand the sacrifice required. And understanding as well that it's not it's not all rosy as well. The fact that there's yeah. going to be those down moments. Yeah, yeah. That we talk about the memories and winning leagues and winning trophies which is absolutely brilliant yeah and, and the memories we've created with friends and it's outstanding but parents sometimes don't understand what comes with the negative side mm-hmm. of how hard it is okay um, i mean there's always something i think it's on goal i think it's a footballer iceberg where it's kind of on the bottom that shows you the top bit which is like above the water which is all the brilliant stuff yeah uh your boot deal your sponsors or whatever and then below is like the stresses of your relationship with your manager and the stresses of not playing and, and things like that, really. The pressures that come with playing. Not getting paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like trying you. to deal with contracts and stuff like that. It's, yeah. It's tough. Um, Going back to players who, um, yeah, maybe compensate for their lack of technique. I'm thinking of Roy Keane as an example. Um, maybe he's not the best and maybe I'm doing a bit of a disservice because he was a clever, good player, made good decisions and passed the ball well. But he's not super technical, you know, he's not that sort of, he's not Iniesta, he's not shabby. Um, but then maybe he's built up his character with this aggression, with this big presence on the pitch, and he's become like very, very effective. Do you think there's a lot of non-league players who use that bravado, who have a lot of the dark arts? I'm thinking like Vinnie Jones, those sort of players. Is that... Does that happen? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so, I think so, also you go back to it. He's a winner, isn't he? Every team he's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. a born he's that mentality. Yes, yeah. which drives the dressing room. And that's why. Well, that's why he's a skipper. You know, that's why he was the leader. It was he just controlled everything? Whether it was, you know, being that aggressive side. You know, you see him flying into a tackle. You're going to get up for it, surely. Yeah. And just that alone can kind of bring the best out of all the other players around you. But so, do you see that a lot more in lower league football, though? Like that sort of desire, that aggression, like much more than maybe higher division players? Don't see it much in higher division players anymore, do you? It's, not as, it's usually just the Roy Keynes and that that yeah. was back in the day, but no one really like that anymore, really. Whereas, so for you guys tonight, when you've got a corner, are you expecting people to be stepping on your toes? Are people going to be oh, pinching? Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. are you getting elbows on the yeah, yeah I've had my air pulled, I've had yeah. everything. I mean, that's been my fault for that long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I've had it all, yeah, pinches, bruises, you get you know, little digs in the ribs, you get toes stepped on, everything yeah. everything under the sun. They'll what do. sort of verbals might they say? I feel like me as a winger as well, but I'm always trying to go past people when then as soon as I'm being kicked or whatever, it's not just that, they're not finished, they'll come back and try and stamp on your like fingers or, or whatever like that. But Stamp on your fingers, yeah? Yeah, stuff and like that. What might they say as well? Don't know if I can say it. They're know. trying to get in your head. Yeah, just like maybe diving prick and stuff like that. But yeah, nah, just just try to get in your head. They would even go as far as saying stuff about families and stuff like that. 
what do you think they what they do research on your family? No, no, no I like just trying to get probably shout out your mum and yeah, that. Yeah, like, just, I mean, you might not even have a missus, and I'll say something. Yeah, like that. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but they just you know, it's just you got your common shouts that they'll uh, kind of come out with yeah. and stuff. So it's I mean, personally, I love it. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, mind it. Uh, some players will crumble, some will kind of have a little laugh with it. But you guys have adapted. Whereas we're sort of using the example earlier on with the Cat 1 cat players who drop down and maybe that's such a shock to the system and they can't cope with that. Yeah, it's quite funny actually because I've got, a, I've got a lad who I coach. He's at Sheffield United, Cat 2. And a really good midfielder. And his dad brings his little brother to his sessions and just to get his little brother to wind him off in his <laughs> sessions. Oh, right. Honestly, it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. And it's helped him develop so much more in terms of being able to deal with making a mistake and things like that because it's sometimes I'm trying to coach him and his little brother's there he'll give it he may miss a pass or whatever and his little brother's there chirping away ah that's so <laughs> funny but it's, it's helping him learn in a different way and get used to that because it's his dad saying to him look you're going to get that when you get older yeah. that's what's going to happen I, do, I was going to say exactly Tiger yeah, Woods we, do you know what Tiger Woods dad did no Right, so yeah, so from a very, very young age, let's say like eight years old, nine years old, he'd be putting, but then he wouldn't just let him just putt. He'd then be like jangling his keys, throwing things at him, but it got worse. Like he ended yeah. up starting giving him like racist abuse. Like yeah, yeah he was just like getting at him. Yeah, it's, it's really, really yeah. nuts. Um, we all thrive off it though, don't we? I yeah. Think. I think Especially when the fun starts. Yeah, it just gets you. A lot of time, I mean, you you obviously, well, both of you know, kind of playing on the edge of the pitch. Yeah. You know, I don't probably, I probably zone out a lot in the game and don't hear it a lot. But then as soon as the ball goes out and you've got to take a throw in, that little break in play that you might start hearing it, or they might just be, I mean, the grounds, look how close the grounds are out there. They're, they're kind of on top of you. So, you know, they're kind of like in your ear straight away and oh, I kind of like it, so I'll join in with them, just say whatever they're saying and it kind of, I think it annoys them more than, they're not, so then they'll just yeah. keep going. But I mean, if I can get to them just by you know, singing along or something, then I've done my job and I can just go and play. Yeah, Tamworth yeah, yeah. Tam- yeah, Tam- 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 away. Yeah, Tamworth away for this game. Yeah, yeah and then just give it that one, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, where's your caravan? All this that. <laughs> so I'd come over, take a throw in, start singing with them, and kind of give them a flick funny. of the mullet, and off I'd go. So luckily, we won that one. So every throw in to see you, just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like for coaches i mean yeah you have you done your b license you, uh, i'm not yet no, okay not okay yet. okay but on our badges we don't there's not anything teaching no. about gamesmanship or dark arts or how you deal with a 30 year old 35 year old man elbowing <laughs> you in the head it's i think it's one of them where i think on the coaching courses they don't really want to yeah uh, highlight them things and be telling the young kids about that type of stuff uh, well, they don't want it coming from coaches anyway because I feel like it can be if say you say tell Bad little looks. Josh or something yeah. to go and do something on a weekend and he goes and does it and his parents are getting in trouble and they come knocking on your door and going why are you telling my lad to do that mm-hmm. yeah. I mean for me my dad was telling it was my dad who taught me all about it yeah, I'm from when I was about 16, 15, 16 he was the one who introduced me to that how do you, how do you coach coaches to coach that? Imagine going on one of the courses. I mean, I don't want but, to get pitched. But, I think, <laughs> but, but we're, we're discovering it, this is how to play the game. Like, at some point, you need to learn it. I mean, I'll send it forward. Yeah, you got, yeah, like, he's got it. Like, I, it is one of them things where you've got it in you or you haven't. Yeah. I don't know about that, though. I Like, from, from a young age, 
you, I mean, okay, I'll go back to the example of um, the, film, the film 300. It's one of my favourite films. You seen 300? The, the... Spartans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Spartans, they're not raising children that are not going to be warriors. They're all going to be warriors. Yeah. And so that's come from the environment. It's not just all like the genetics. It's, it's like, right, we're going to chuck you out with the wolves and then you've got to survive. And I think there is some stuff with environment. Yeah, I think it's also something that you and I tell to pull hair. And <laughs> and toes and... No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't know that I even have the answer. What I do think, though, is that we can't just neglect it. Like, it's something that it feels like it's a taboo, when in the reality of football, it's something that goes on at first team level. Yeah, because it's so common. Because yeah. yeah. what you're trying to do is you're trying to gain any advantage you can. Yeah, yeah any advantage. absolutely. I mean, there's been times where I've, I remember someone did it to me when I was younger, and then I've started doing it. Um, I yeah. must have only been about 16, 17. It's like playing in a preseason game against Stockport. There was only a young kid playing against this experienced fullback. I had the ball in. He's going. He's like taunting me. Go on, take me on. I dare you. Dare you. Dare you. I absolutely bottled it and crumbled. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely bottled it and crumbled. And from that day, I was like, he got in my head massively. <laughs> and like, so you're gaining any advantage to mm. try and put your opponent off their game and stuff like that. I mean, our centre forward. How many people got sent off this season? Yeah, three, two or three. Two or three. He's got just our centre forward for just from winding him yeah, up and just. Getting them to nibble and react. Yeah, knows how to play the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Knows how to react. Reaction makes the most of it. Yeah, yeah. And these kids, it's the, kind of um, things. The kind of the centre I went down um, in London. <clears throat> um, quickly, we've got a lot of tech. We use a lot of technology, and it's very, very easy to. Um, it highlights mistakes very quickly, so it's very easy to get wound up by it. Players get really, really frustrated. Uh, frustrated because we're like um, panels you pass against. So if you miss the panel by an inch, like if I was to pass to you and I miss you by an inch, it's still a good pass. You can adjust and get yeah. it. But because we're passing at um, really specific panels, if you miss, um, it highlights it. So players get so frustrated and they just start to like it eats at them and they're just like, it wasn't a miss. It was like you meant to have hit here. I know we're talking an inch, but you still missed. But um, it is so something that we can do with that is try and get them to um, yeah con- control their temper because they get so annoyed and so wound up, and yeah. especially we gamify a lot of the stuff. So their scores, so because they missed that one pass, they haven't got a top score, and then it winds them up. But it's exactly that. It's like something I always tell them is when you start playing good football uh, or a good level of football, your opposition will quickly find out how they can wind you up. Um, and then if they see that you can, if they see that they can, and they see that you buy it, they won't stop until you get sent off. Yeah, so it's, yeah definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. It's definitely something that, when do you start to coach it? I don't know. But well, it's I've got, uh, I'm doing a podcast next week with the SE Dons. Oh, you know yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so um, that's going to be the theme of that episode. So they, they are dog yeah exactly <laughs> and we're gonna like we've got Paul Merson in that episode and yeah we're gonna um, really get into it um, no that it's been so good hearing from you guys thank you so much for your time um, it. Fi- final question from me I don't know if, you, if you've got any more Matthew but um, the Saudi league has, have, <laughs> have you guys thought about that like you know I, I know, like, I know it seems a crazy thing because we're seeing all the sort of like the very very top players but Surely they're trying to grow that league and just have opportunities for everyone. I've I've never thought about actually going over, but if they offer you 
unbelievable money. You can't you can't turn that yeah, down, can you? It's, it's impossible. Put in front of you, it's harder to probably say yeah. no if it's you know a good deal and that. But I've heard like lower leagues down there are getting like fifty grand a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You get Twitter, don't you? Just yeah, like you can't random things about it. And it's, they're that really trying to grow it. Yeah, yeah. like if the if the money's right and the deal's yeah. right, it's important. And it's not that like it's all about the money and stuff like that. But if at the end of the day, you're, you're providing for your family and your Definitely. future. So yeah, it depends like, on where you are. In yeah, career, your career yeah. as well. So like if coming to an end, you know, if someone be the right option. If you're working at ASDA and they're offering you ten pound an hour, Tesco offering you twelve pound. Are you going to go Tesco? Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. that's like how I like to put it to, yeah. to other get people. You, get you. Uh, but like I said, I think it's got to be the right time. It's got to yeah. be the right time. No, I guess um, any sort of, so, I mean, you're still technically with Hearts. Yeah. You've had some loans. Yeah. You um, was at Arrington, now here. Yeah. Um, and then Scunthorpe then released, but then back at Scunthorpe. Mm-hmm. So any any last um, kind of last message to give to players that are currently going through the system? Um, or the parents of players going through the system? Parents of players going through the system um, might get released. Yeah, how, how can they deal with that and do you encourage them to just kind of keep persevering? I know we touched on it earlier about maybe not, but you guys are living the life of uh, professional football players. I think for me, I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. So in terms of like for me getting released at 15 has enabled me to come back here. Um, I think also like if you, if you do get released, it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's yeah. always something else further down the line. You may not realise it, that reason why now, but further down the line, it'll, it'll come to light. Uh, but also just keep believing because in the day, no matter what level you go and play at, if you're earning £20 to go to play a game of football, you're getting paid to play football. It's £20 that's going to go in your car for petrol. So I think it's just no matter what, keep believing. And in the day, the game is about opinions. So one person will have one opinion about you, another coach will have a different opinion. Just keep that in your mind. Definitely clip that. Yeah, <laughs> should. Uh, and boys? I mean, it's Ross, like Ross, yeah, yeah he's just kind of got to yeah. yeah, there's nothing else to say after that. <laughs> just about, yeah, just like you said, on getting released and that, you know, it's that fine line between forcing them to do something or like force them into the game and then being there to just support them and kind of back them up when, when they probably need it most. I think that's the kind of the, the big thing I found that my parents were there supportive whenever I need them. That, that helped me massively. Well, I hope you win the game tonight. We'll be uh, watching, cheering for you. Um, but yeah, thanks again for your time today. Appreciate, appreciate it. Thank you. 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 Well done. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Oh, great. Great. Good. 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 Personality. Yeah. Ah, it's class, man. I'll come back and thank you. Two seconds.